My name is Reverend Meg Roberts. I acknowledge that we gather on Treaty 6 territory. It's the traditional lands of First Nations and Métis people. As someone whose ancestors came as settlers to Treaty 6 territory, I recognize that I'm a guest here on this land. So I ask myself, what does it mean to be in a treaty with other peoples? It's a responsibility. It's an inheritance. And it's a relationship. So as a non-Indigenous person, I have a responsibility to learn more about how to live in ways that create respectful and equitable relationships. I'm also a guest minister here at the Unitarian Church of Edmonton. I'm a former intern, so I was pleased to be asked to offer you welcome to the Unitarian Church of Edmonton. It's a liberal, religious, multi-generational community. As Unitarians and Universalists, we are practicing welcoming diversity. We aim to work with others to create the common good and justice in the world. We believe in the compassion of the individual heart, the warmth of community, and the search for meaning in our lives. Reverend Brian Kiley is the settled minister and my former intern supervisor. And when I noticed the date of today's service, I just want to acknowledge personally a big gratitude to the Unitarian Church of Edmonton and Westwood Unitarian Congregation who ordained me 17 years ago today. So I get to recognize being called reverend, which to me is like doctor's doctor, I reverence life. I wanted to also acknowledge that this is a special weekend. The Canadian Unitarian Council has this weekend been gathering Unitarians and Universalists from the Western provinces and also others of us like me from Vancouver who gather here as part of the Western Regional Fall Gathering. So today's service includes people from the Unitarian Church of Edmonton, of course the Joint Service with Westwood Unitarian Congregation, and other Unitarians, Universalists, Unitarian Universalists, and others of you who may be new to this community. And so we welcome you in particular and let you know that there is an information table that we hope you will um, explore and talk to the people that are there to answer your questions and also for us to get to know you better. We're all invited to the refreshments after the service, and so I hope all of us will feel welcome here and have a chance to get to know others who perhaps you don't yet know. As we begin this special service, I invite all of us to quiet our devices. And maybe take a deep breath to center yourselves and let go of whatever you need to 
so we may enter this time of deepening and connecting to ourselves, each other, and the things that are most important in our minds and hearts. May we enter this time of worship together in gratitude for this gift of togetherness. We begin the service with a prelude from our fall gathering choir. From Erica Hewitt. The word courage comes from the Latin core, which means heart. According to the poet Mark Nepo, the original use of the word courage meant to stand by one's core, a striking concept that reinforces the belief found in almost all traditions that living from the center is what enables us to face whatever life has to offer.
to encourage is to hearten, to impart strength and confidence. This is our work as a religious community to encourage one another, to be bold in engaging the world around us, as well as what scares us internally, to give one another the confidence and heart to live as fully as possible. Please join me in the response. With full hearts, we affirm our relationships with one another. We recognize our agency and our connective power. We accept our responsibility to be bold and courageous. Hi, I'm Fiona. I'm one half of the worship coordinators from the youth con this weekend. So I'll read the chalice lighting. When we light our chalice, everyone focuses on the flame. Yet it is the paraffin of the candle, the cotton of the wick, the potassium chlorate and sulfur of the match, and the oxygen in the air around us that makes that flame possible. As leaders, we are not called to be a lone beacon on a hill. Rather, we are meant to work together so that we might together shine. Would you please rise as you are willing or able or interested? That particularly goes to our exhausted youth. You've been handed the One Flame Hymn. It's our hymn of the month in this congregation. Uh, and we invite you to join in. It may be unfamiliar to some of you, but I'm sure you'll pick it up.
let me add my welcome. My name is Brian Kiley. I have the pleasure, have had the pleasure of serving this congregation for the past 22 years. And when I first came here in 1997, there was a fairly new children's story that I had been telling for a while and I had fallen in love with. And since this is my last fall gathering in this role, I thought I would tell it again. Now, there is a kind of participatory portion, and you'll figure it out uh, when that time comes, and you're welcome to sing along. And the point that I would say about it is that uh, this is the only musical tune I have ever written, so I'm very proud of it, because <laughs> the book doesn't come with music. And Oh, I have one other comment before I start. Last night, there was a roast by my colleagues, which was great fun. Many of you were in attendance. And one of the things was pointed out that I like working in a kitchen because in a kitchen, the chef is the boss and people have to do what they say, <laughs> unlike the minister of a church. <laughs> but my revenge this morning is I have all the ministers in this district and gave them the stuff they have to do. <laughs> anyway. Once there was a new mother, she picked up her baby boy and she rocked him back and forth. <laughs> I'll get there. <clears throat> back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And as she did so, she sang, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, for as long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. Well, that baby grew. He grew and he grew and he grew until he was two years old. And he pulled all the books off the shelves and all the food out of the refrigerator. And one day he found his mother's watch and flushed it down the toilet. And she said, this kid is driving me crazy. But at night, when that baby was asleep, she'd open the door peer in, crawl across the room, look into his crib, and if that baby boy was truly asleep, she'd pick him up and rock him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And she'd sing, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. Well, the two-year-old grew. He grew and he grew and he grew until he was nine years old. And he never wanted to come in for dinner. And he never wanted to take a bath. And whenever grandma came to visit, he used all the bad words he knew. And his mother said, sometimes I think I want to sell this kid to the zoo. But at night, when that nine-year-old was asleep, She'd crawl into his bedroom, peer into his bed, and if he was really, really asleep, she'd pick him up and sing, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. Well, that nine-year-old grew. He grew and he grew and he grew until he became a teenager. And he had strange friends, and he wore strange clothes, and he played strange music very loud. And so his mother said, sometimes I think I'm living in a zoo. 
But at night, when that boy was asleep, she'd crawl across the floor of his room, peer into his bed, and if he was truly asleep, she would pick him up and rock him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and sing. I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. Well, the teenager grew, and he grew, until he became a young man, and he left home and moved across town to his own house. And sometimes, late at night, his mother would get into her car drive across town, look into his bedroom window if all the lights were off, open the window, crawl in. And if he was truly asleep, she would pick that young man up and sing, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. The woman grew. She grew older and older. And one day she called her son and said, Son, I'm very old and I'm not well. You should come and visit. And she tried to sing, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. But she couldn't finish. So the son got in his car. He drove to his mother's house and he walked up the stairs to her bedroom. And he picked her up and he rocked her back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And as he did so, he sang, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my mommy you'll be. And later that night, the man went home. He walked up his own stairs, paused at the landing, turned and went into the room of his new baby daughter. And he picked her up, held her in his arms, rocked her back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And he sang, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as I'm busy, my baby you'll be. Thank you. Most Sundays, we gather in our far-flung communities to meet and greet each other, to learn and worship and build community within our unique local walls. But each fall, we bridge those walls for a momentary coming together. We make a fragile and temporary community again, hoping to learn, to become inspired, to make or make connections with others who feel as we do about our Unitarian Universalism. A tradition in our churches and fellowships is the receiving of an offering. Most weeks, 
These funds support the ongoing work of our local community. And this church, like many others, chooses to share our abundance with the wider community. This Sunday, all our offering, save for the pledges, contributions of UCE members and friends, will go to Camp Fry Five. Firefly. Firefly. This organization is dedicated to creating safe spaces and hosting summer camp for LGBTQ2 plus youth in Alberta. It's a wonderful work that the congregations in our, of our province have long supported. You are invited to participate in the celebration of giving as the ushers accept the offering. If you like, you can use the envelopes found in the inside cover of the hymn book if you wish, you wish to receive a tax receipt for your gift. Thank you for your generosity. Our tellers have asked that if you are a visitor here and you're writing a check, would you please put camp on the memo line? Thank you.
Hello. My name is the Reverend Megan Roburn, and I serve our congregation in Winnipeg, Manitoba. One of the six sources of our living tradition is direct experience. This weekend, during our Western Region Fall Gathering, many of us have been working on our ministry of music around our theme towards a thriving future. This includes the pieces from our choir this morning. The song you just heard was written by a black composer, a culture bearer of the black experience in North America, an offering of historical black musical styles and language to the wider world. It is expressly given for all people to sing. You may also have noticed that it centers a gender binary of brothers and sisters. This is distinctly a part of black history and culture, a result of centuries of black people denied their very humanity, much less the ability to create and sustain families. This does not erase the presence and wholeness of those who are non-binary. This here is space in which we can and must make room for both and more. We can make room for all the love and compassion and listening, for we are called to lift up the direct experiences of all our lives. We are called to say yes and. Our reading today chosen by Reverend Brian, speaks to the fact that such a calling can often be hard and messy work and that it is worth it. The Edge by David Rankin. A religion that promises a life without tension, a life without conflict, a life without suffering is a religion of passivity a religion of mediocrity, a religion of insignificance. Everything worth doing in the world is a desperate gamble, a game of chance where nothing is certain. What is love? Is it not a wild and sublime speculation that can end in ecstasy or despair? What is Courage. Is it not a hazardous risk of fortune that can end in victory or defeat? What is adventure? Is it not a blind leap into the dark that can end in joy or disaster? What is faith? Is it not a prayerful flip of the coin that can end in heaven or hell? If I refuse to play the game, if I refuse to risk myself, if I refuse to throw the dice, I am never really alive. I am then only flesh, baking in the sun, on a middling plateau with no view of the valley and no road to the peak. Good morning. Good morning. I am the Reverend Suzanne Wasolchek. I serve our congregation in Thunder Bay, Ontario. And we join that congregation in Thunder Bay and across this 
provinces in a tradition. Many, many of our Unitarian gatherings take a time to share with one another the joys and sorrows, celebrations and concerns of our lives. And today we will symbolize those categories of milestone experience which are commonly shared among us. When you hear words that resonate with your experience, you are invited to stand or simply raise a hand or or not, and to silently hold out that milestone into the love and support gathered in this room. We will ring the first chime for all the new beginnings amongst us, for the births of a child, of a grandchild, of a relationship, of a new idea. If you are experiencing a new beginning, starting a new job, making a move or a change or a fresh start, this moment is for you. We ring the second chime for all the sorrows among us, for the loss of loved ones, a family, of friends, a dear animal, the loss of a possibility. If you are experiencing grief or loneliness, disappointment or the end of a dream, if you are struggling with the darkness for any reason, this moment is for you. We invite you to share these joys, these concerns with one another, whether over refreshments today or or in the days and the weeks to come. To share what matters to us is to keep life in perspective, is to strengthen our ties to one another. And we ring one final chime for all the joys and all the sorrows that remain unspoken in our minds, in our hearts, in our very bones. We remember that each and every person with their doubts and with their dreams is precious and a gift of life. Years ago, when I first went into the CUC board, Brian was my board buddy and mentor. Our first meeting was in a bar. (laughs) Right? Unbelievable. This weekend, we've come from as far away as British Columbia and Ontario to be at this Your Western Fall Gathering. This weekend, we've met new friends. We've renewed ongoing relationships We've been challenged in our thinking. We've learned together. We have laughed with, not at, Brian, at the Brost. And I want to thank you on behalf of the CUC board and staff to the Unitarian Church of Edmonton and Westwood Congregation for creating and holding this space and making this event come alive this weekend. CUC staff would not be able to do any of this stuff without our mutual partnership together. Our presenters provoked us, they comforted us, 
they held a program together that challenged our thinking and then celebrated in song. So thank you to Wilburn Hayden, Patricia Trudeau, Kimberly Denny and Tova, and the choir. Thank you to Emma Jackson, Gabrielle Elderman, and Lisa Stein, who talked about climate justice and hope beyond the grief. We thank also the host team of the two congregations, Brian Kiley, Anne Barker, Karen Belitta, and Scott Harrison, Karen Mills, Ilara, Will, Lorian Kennedy, John Pater, Audrey Books, and one of the most important teams this weekend has been Michelle van der Molen and her team of Kitchen Elves. The Kitchen Queen, who nurtured our bodies and our spirits with tasty, nutritious, appealing food. And we have loved every morsel. Thank you. I'm Linnea Granberg. This is Eric James. Um, we're the Codeans for uh, this year's YouthCon. Uh, we had a really good time this weekend. We'd like to thank our staff team. And I would like to specifically thank Casey Stainsby. I already thanked her once, but I think I want to. I want to thank her again because she's been super important in making it so that us and the rest of the staff team can truly grow and take in all that we can from our leadership positions that we've been given. So, thank you, Casey. Oh, also the food was amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. again, thank you for the food. Um. Yeah, you guys are also amazing. This, this YouthCon staff team is, like, really so on the ball. They've put in so much good work and so much heart and soul into planning this conference. And we've had a really, really great time this weekend. We've had some really deep conversations about uh, climate change, some really hard conversations. Uh, we've played some really fun games. Uh, we've eaten some amazing food. We've stayed up really late. I'd like to say a really special thank you also to um, Maria Jenkins, who is our overnight coordinator and site liaison this weekend and a YouthCon um, advisor, and also to our overnight volunteers, those of you who came and spent half the night hanging out, sitting around, making sure that our advisors could get some sleep and that everybody was safe and happy at the conference overnight. So thank you so much to those of you who took on that particular responsibility. And that's all. Thank you. In a moment, we're going to enter into a time of meditation together. But to lead us in, I'd like to invite you to sing song number 391, Voice Still and Small, and you may stay seated while we sing.
there are many ways of being together. We can talk, we can listen, we can play games and laugh, we can eat together. We can also be silent together. Not perfect silence. We are gathered together as a large body of people. There are always coughs and noises, shufflings and sounds. But the silence of being together is a special kind of silence. So I invite you to do whatever you need to get comfortable in your own body, whether that is having eyes closed or eyes open, shifting in your chair a little bit so you can feel your weight on the chair and your feet on the floor. So I invite you into a time of silence for meditation, contemplation, or prayer following these words by Deborah Hafner. It is our journey together. We are on a journey. We didn't plan it. We didn't have time for the bread to rise. We may find ourselves in the wilderness, hungry, thirsty, doubting that we should have ever come. But look around. We are not alone. It is our journey together. A journey to our better selves. A journey to a better world. A journey to a more promised land.
Vita, that's why we met in a bar. <laughs> there is a tradition in our movement that when a minister is invited or in our local region stuck with the job of preaching at an assembled gathering of colleagues and congregations, they try and reach outside the normal conversation of their own communities and talk a little bit to the wider movement. See how I do. 31 years ago when I was ordained, church, oh, it was different. Eight or ten retired folks came in once a month for newsletter bees, where they took stacks of photocopied pages, stapled them, folded them, labeled envelopes, assembled packages, stamped them, you remember stamps, stamped them, (laughs) and usually had lunch, or at least tea. It was a traditional, highly social work bee. It was part of the way community was built back then. Thirty years ago, congregations had a much higher proportion of people who had themselves been members for 20 or 30 years. There were the sorts who stayed with the congregation through thick and thin and who showed with their financial pledges that they understood that there was a cost to being a member. The responsibility for running the church rested with them. Not only for the days in which they were attending church, but for future generations as well. And they passed that message on to us younger folks. 30 years ago, this will be truly shocking, pretty much every committee was staffed and took minutes and met monthly. If there was work to be done, a committee was struck and records were kept so that others could repeat that work later on. 30 years ago, our E-classes were generally larger There were fewer outside activities on Sunday mornings drawing families away. Church was a family event, and there were fewer young folks who spent every other weekend with the other parent. Thirty years ago in my office, phone calls vastly outweighed emails. Even post office mail outweighed email. Social media didn't exist yet. 
It wouldn't come along for another 15 years when Facebook made its debut. People in search of community still had to find ways to be in rooms with other people where everybody knows their name. Now, none of this is a lament for the way things used to be, but for a guy hanging up his stole in a couple of months, it's more a starting place for observations of the past, the present, and even future. Church is changing in a very rapid way. It's not the institution where I began my work. And how we manage the change now and that which is ahead of us, that's going to dictate more about the thriving future of our movement than anything else. A first challenge, which won't be a surprise to most of you, will be money. The way we raise money is already shifting to match changes in culture. The tradition of generous annual pledges is in decline. In most congregations, I know the pledge line is flat, not even keeping pace with inflation. And every time one of our elder members die, one of those 30-year veterans, you can watch the pledge total drop a little or a lot. I don't think it's a matter of having to do better canvases. I don't think it's a question of generosity. Giving patterns have just changed. Long-term pledging to an institution is just not as much a part of a culture as it once was. We live in a fee-for-service society where we pay only for what we want and plan to use. The idea of pledging annually to the long-term upkeep of a community, any community, is increasingly passé. Today we expect to pay as we go. The new paradigm in schools, sports teams, and arts organizations is that we will give some, often as fees, but then we will be expected to participate in fundraising activities like bake sales and bottle drives and silent auctions and casinos. These are the expectations placed on us in Canada today. So partly this decline in pledging is also tied to economic realities facing today's workforce, but maybe that's another sermon. Suffice it to say, our old funding model needs work. When this congregation bought this building 16 years ago, we did the traditional capital campaign, and it was very successful. But we also had long and difficult discussions about the morality of taking part in casinos. After careful discussion and deliberation, we voted to go with them. At the time, I think we were the only Western Canadian congregation to do so, maybe the only congregation in the whole nation. We aren't alone anymore. They have become a useful non-pledge stream of income. We also deliberately acquired a building that was much larger than we needed. We set aside about 40% of our space for permanent rentals. That rental income and the rental of occasional people coming in and using the church, like local choirs and 12-step groups, not only pays all the running costs of the property, but it contributes a significant amount to our budget as well. If it wasn't for those two sources of outside income, we would not be able to afford our levels of ministry, staffing, and programming. Period. Full stop.
perhaps charging fees for services like religious education for children and adults, for social events and concerts. Maybe that's going to be the new income stream. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe we're going to run the offering as a 50-50 draw. (laughs) In a thriving future, we're going to have to identify alternate sources of funding. Ministry and all professional leadership in our communities is another area of major change. When I started, there were 18 full-time Canadian ministry positions. Today, there are only 15, and one of them is shared between two people. Back then, there were probably 30 ministers, students, and retirees in our UU Ministers of Canada Association. But today, we have 66 living in Canada. The mailing list is much larger. Seven of those 66 are students, 24 are retirees, and of the 35 remaining, 20 work only part-time in our congregations or they work in the community, as community ministers. And at least eight Canadians are currently serving in the United States because they couldn't find work at home. People want to enter the ministry It's a desirable profession for some insane reason. (laughs) The reality is incoming students face an expensive education and a small prospect of financially sustainable work. And most salaries are below recommended guideline levels. This is not a complaint. It's not a whine. It's a simple statement of reality. And there's been a significant drop in the number of credentialed, uh, full-time and part-time professional religious educators, administrators, and musicians as well. In a thriving future, we are still going to need professional leadership, though it might not look exactly the same. And ministry is already adapting to this new world and will continue to do so. Some of my colleagues are working as entrepreneurs or as consultants, taking on part-time, working in the community, figuring out a way to do this thing for which they feel deep passion somehow. Distance education is the new norm. But unless we continue to reduce the cost of education or increase the rate of pay, we're going to see a further erosion of our leadership. And I believe we need professional leaders in all aspects of congregational life. We need the benefit of their training. We need their skills, their knowledge, and frankly, just the work that they contribute. Those of you in lay-led communities know how hard it is to run a full program only with volunteers. Those professional ministers will keep the ideas and the ideals and the principles of the Unitarian Universalist tradition alive and in front of us. They will work on inclusion and calling their communities to remember why we were here. They will push you on justice issues. They will be our spokespeople outside the church. They will celebrate our joys and be there to hold our hands in times of sorrow. They will keep quality of Sundays and programs high. 
They will remain focused on the thriving future we desire. Volunteerism is down in most places. And increasingly in a congregation like ours, the work of the church is a staff operation. If volunteers don't do the work, then we've got to find a way to pay for it. That's another big shift in church life. Those newsletter work bee days are long gone. UCE now has paid classroom teachers because we have no choice. That's not a complaint. It's an observation. There are lots of demands on members out there in the world. That's just how it is, and we have to deal with it. People will happily volunteer and work for one-time events like this weekend. It's been amazing the number of people who have just come along and moved chairs and moved tables and made the rooms work and picked up work that needed to do. It's been exceptional. But like everywhere else, we're having a hard time getting anyone interested in ongoing meetings. The committees with monthly minutes are dinosaurs. Today we are adapting, however, with electronic meetings, shared online document uh, apps, and revised decision-making processes. And I don't think we've figured it out all yet, and there's more change to come. The structure of our communities are changing. Okay, fine. Keeping pace with the cultural change is going to be our challenge. Now, this isn't all that dire, folks. It's only a problem if you hold to an idea that the way we did things back then is the way things ought to be. Of all the great sermons preached in our history, my favorite is an 1841 Theodore Parker piece called The Transient and Permanent in Christianity. And no, to my colleagues who made age jokes last night, I was not there to hear it. <laughs> what was that thing you called me? The uh, last old, not dead white guy in our ministry? <laughs> yeah. It's all right. One of my daughters came up to me last night and said, So, Dad, what was the name of your favorite dinosaur? <laughs> That sermon was required reading when I was in school. For Parker, the rules and outdated dogma of conservative Christianity were transient. They were due to pass away. The core message of Christianity, love God, love your neighbor, be of service, that's what would endure. That was the part that was permanent. It was a scandalous sermon at the time. It seems to me that the church structure I described at the beginning of these remarks is passing away, or at least being forced to adapt. Church organization, and I say this as a career institutionalist, is not permanent. It was constructed for a different time and a different culture. It is transient. So what to do? I was speaking with one of the youth con planners the other day, one to whom I am related. Their theme this weekend was borrowed from the film Finding Nemo. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. That said, it was partly about moving on and partly about the reminder of the dangers in the ocean, dangers like climate change, and dangers above the ocean, like racism and transphobia. 
But the message just keeps swimming is a good one. See, the first thing we have to do, no matter what, is keep swimming. Keep paying attention to the currents of change and adjusting our strategies and our institutions to help us move along with it. In order to keep swimming, we have to remember how to swim. That's the core strength. That's the permanent. Don't swim, you drown. Whether swimming or pondering a thriving future, we have to remember what is permanent about our Unitarian Universalism and hang on to it. So what's permanent? Our commitment to principled living and theology without dogma. Our dedication to reason and science alongside an enriched spiritual life. Our passion for making the world just a little better, a little more fair, perhaps even a little kinder. Our efforts to be radically inclusive and loving, our community of love and concern, and our individual desires to just live as good people. That's what we have to hang on to. The way we describe it, that's going to change from time to time with vision statements and such. Um, There's a new CUC t-shirt with three words on it that I didn't even know existed until this week. What are the three words? Excellent. Hey, I was still preaching last year on the four things of the vision statement. I am, or seven parts of the aspirations. I am so, I'm old. Five aspirations. It is time to retire. The way we describe the permanent is going to change. The language will change. The meaning will change. Words have their sensitivity and new life, which occasionally drives an old grammarian like me crazy. The water in which we swim keeps flowing, but the currents keep shifting. Change is a fact. Accepting it gracefully, and I'm speaking now of elders like me, is perhaps the best contribution we have left to make. We can remind the younger and newer people of the permanent bits while understanding that they're going to change the transient parts, sometimes even the parts we love. That is okay. We have done that before, many, many times. I'm retiring now because of something I noted 30 years ago, or at least in part because of something I noted 30 years ago. As I was just getting started and moving into some local leadership in our ministerial association, Unitarian Universalism was moving away from a fairly strong and austere humanism and was rediscovering spirituality. Prayer, paganism was even showing up. Words like sermons were coming back into vogue. And at our minister's retreats, I was aware of the mostly old boys, a couple of women, but mostly old boys back then, sitting in the back, feeling kind of irrelevant. Church was moving. It was leaving them behind. But what I always admired about them 
is that they understood it. They understood it was necessary and for the most part accepted it pretty gracefully. And I resolved then that when I began to feel that way, it would be time to hang it up. A while ago, I began to notice. My church was moving in a new direction that didn't include me or my ways of doing things quite so much. And that is okay. It's not a whiny statement. It's an understanding that to everything there is a season and my cohort's season is ending. We had our turn at leadership. We did our best. We got you this far. It's now time to pass the torch as graciously as possible, recognizing that others are going to lead differently, address different issues, use different tools. That's the way it is. They're adapting our faith, the faith that I love and have devoted my career to, they're adapting it to a culture that I don't fully understand anymore. But that's how we get to a thriving future. In that future, we also have to find ways to reach out to a youth and young adult society that feels, in some ways, a very similar disenfranchisement that we elders do. Young people today aren't sure of their place in Canada or their place in the Unitarian Church. At least the elders have good memories and know where to find the coffee in the bathroom. The changing leadership rightly has to focus on helping the younger folks find their way in and feel at home here with programs that speak to them, with words that speak to them, with music that speaks to them. And that's partly the work of us elders too. We can't stand around waiting. We have to reach out and welcome them as they arrive and say, what do you need? As I start to step back from active ministry, I do wish to point out, however, as gently as I can, one concern, not about where we're going. That's no longer my responsibility. But I have a concern about how we might be able to get there. I am an old-style classical liberal, meaning I'm someone who wants to hear both sides of the story presented calmly, who prefers rational discussion to fiery rhetoric, and who looks for the middle ground of compromise, understanding that it's not perfect. The middle ground is not a very popular place these days. I think we're losing sight of some core truths, and one in particular that has guided my life. To borrow the words of Jeremy Bentham, as paraphrased by Mr. Spock, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. Now, Unitarian Universalists are good-hearted, passionate, and compassionate people. We want to improve the world and struggle on the side of love and justice. That's a good thing. That is part of our permanence. But I'm concerned that we, and on a larger scale, much of the left has become so microscopically engaged in very particular social issues that we're losing sight of larger goals. 
Many have become so focused on injustices done to the few, and they should be concerns, but we're so focused on them that we're in danger of losing sight of bigger issues we can work on together, the bigger issues that affect the many, like climate justice, racism, and economic justice. And I worry that this particularity might dilute our efforts and defeat us. A divided left is the very first item on the right wing's Christmas wish list. How we're going to manage each of the particular social ills affecting the few while keeping our eyes focused on the larger goals affecting the many is not clear to me. Sorry, I don't have an answer. But we will have to work that out or face a long period of reactionary governments and economic oppression. Divided, we will fall. There is a thriving future out there, and I have great faith. I have great faith in that because this world needs our voice. That, too, is another permanent part of our tradition. Our voice needs to be heard. Our young people need safe places to explore and grow their social consciousness, to build their communities, work out their social values and their personal ones as well. Liberal people of all ages need to find a home where they can rest and restore and reaffirm their core principles while singing cool songs. That part of our church is permanent. How it will manifest in generations ahead. Mine was transient. Guess what? Yours will be too. That's okay. Because ours is a tradition that adapts to the needs of the time in which it finds itself. So as we swim towards that thriving future, please remember this. Unitarian Universalism speaks to a larger population than will ever walk through the doors of our institutions. We have good values, and they deserve to be celebrated and revered. The permanent part of us is worthy. So keep it alive. Then work to adapt and package our clear and consistent message in a way that can be heard by the people who most need it now and tomorrow and the day after that. If this means changing Sunday services, changing the way we do ministry, changing church structures, then do it. Take a chance. Roll the dice. Do it boldly. Do it with courage. This tradition and this faith deserves your passion and your energy. So make this religion your own and share it with everyone you can. That's the way towards a thriving future. Amen. I'm the Reverend Ann Barker, and I have the privilege of serving in partnership with the Westwood Congregation here in Edmonton. Thank you for trusting me with a microphone again. (laughs) You've heard from many ministers this morning, but we know that the wisdom is here in the chairs. And so we invite you to take a minute to turn to your neighbor and have a conversation about this concept we've been talking about all weekend and this morning. 
So the theme of our conference and of this service is toward a thriving future with the incentive to just keep swimming, just keep swimming. So I invite you to turn to a neighbor and have a conversation not about the good old days or where we've come from, but a conversation about where we are going. What does a Unitarian Universalist thriving future look like to you? And alternately, what do you have to bring to it? So take a moment and have that conversation now. Welcome back. With just one or three words, call out from where you're sitting some of the things you think will help us toward a thriving future or what you bring to it. Awesome. Uplifting Unitarian Universalist Community Ministry. More pagan bums in church chairs. Getting out of our comfortable ruts. Engaging in the community as a spokesperson for the Unitarian Universalist movement. And To lead a resurgence of reason in the world. Promoting generous giving. Promoting generous giving. Support for youth and their epic community building skills. That was support for youth and their epic community building skills. Provide food and child care for all meetings and events. Provide food and child care for all meetings and events. Making damn sure when you connect, you connect. Being more friendly and outgoing to new members. New members. Taking our social justice values to the street. Become a raging granny. There you go. Moving beyond bricks and mortar. So we know that this is just the beginning, but wonderful thoughts coming from you. Oh, one more. We'll get one more. Last one. There you go. To devote time to reflect on our deep-seated prejudice. If you missed the memo earlier, this means agreement. So I invite you to just hold these things and the many thoughts and dreams that you have in your heart together and we'll just have a moment of recognition for that. Reaching out to others, sharing our truth, loving one another, caring for one another, being kind to each other through all the change. These are just some of the ways we will keep swimming towards a thriving future. Blessed be, and thank you for being here together today. As our time in this communal worship comes to a close, I'm grateful to be here. 
My name is Reverend Deborah Falk. I have the incredible privilege of serving our congregation in Calgary, Alberta. I offer these words, closing words, from the Reverend Eric Walker Wickstrom. He titles this, The Purpose of This Community is to Help Its People Grow. If you are who you were, and if the person next to you is who they were, If none of us has changed since the day we came here, we have failed. The purpose of this community, of any church, temple, zendo, mosque, is to help its people grow. We do this through encounters with the unknown, in ourselves and in one another, in the other whoever that might be for us, however hard it might be. Because these encounters have many gifts to offer. So may you go forth from here this morning, not with who you were, but with who you could be. And so may we all. Blessed be. And as we rise in body or in spirit to sing our closing song, Carry the Flame, we'll sing it through twice. And I will extinguish the chalice knowing that we are carrying its light, its love, and its vision forward as we leave. to you, tell you a little bit about the last piece that the choir will sing. Uh, it's, it was written uh, at the time that the Syrian refugees were all coming into Canada when we had that big influx of Syrian refugees. And there was an artistic director at a fine art school in Quebec that knew he would be receiving a number of Syrian students. And he wanted to find a way to make them feel comfortable, to make them feel welcome, to make them feel at home. And so he approached a local composer named Laura Hawley and asked her if she would write a piece for his choir to sing. And she went to her local mosque and talked to a bunch of people at the mosque and came away with a song um, that is very special to uh, the Arabic people. And it's all about being aware of and have appreciation for the beauty that is in the world around you. And so she took that song and she said it, she paired it with a French partner song that she had written, uh, which is all about to live is to love, to love is to share, to share is to give, to give is to live, and it just is a big palindrome. And she put these two things together in a song. And Robert taught it to his choir, and they went to the airport on the day that the Syrian refugees were all arriving. And the first thing that all of these Syrian folk heard when they got off the plane was this group of teenagers singing 
a song that they knew and that they loved and that was very important to them. And one of the parents um, took a video and posted it on YouTube, and of course the thing went viral. And so this piece has now gone across the country. It's being sung by choirs all across Canada. Um, and it's a way, it's one of the few pieces, few access points that um, we have to be able to sing something that combines the Arabic that is relatable to an Arabic people and that we can talk about in our choirs with our kids that we direct and with the, the, our big kids that we direct. Uh, <laughs> um, to be able to find a pathway into understanding. And so this is, this is called Vive, Vive et Me Partager. Thank you.